So, in case you don't know, uh, my name is Nathan Detweiler. I'm the senior pastor here. We have been working our way through a series about God called Tell Me All Your Thoughts on God. And this week we're on this topic called God is the King. I share this quote with you every time I preach uh, on the, on, in this series. A.W. Tozer said, What comes to mind when a person thinks about God is the most important thing about them. What comes to mind when someone thinks of God is the most important thing about them. And, and from what someone thinks about God, Tozer says, you can predict with some degree of certainty the spiritual future of that person. Think about how your thoughts on God condition everything you do in your life. How you feel about yourself. We, we sung that song, Good, Good Father, this morning. And that might seem trite, possibly, to some of you to sing a song like that. But it's an affirmation of the truth of who God is towards us and his love towards us. And it's an affirmation of us, of our place of belovedness in God. It's the truth. And as we sing songs like this, like this the Holy Spirit... Uh, works in our hearts to, to change our perspective and how we live our life. How, how would you live your life differently if you really believed you were beloved of God? If you believed that, and this is the gospel truth, okay? If you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, when you became a Christian a long time ago, before you screwed everything up in your opinion, you know, God was aware of everything you would do when he saved you. He was aware. He knew that you'd do this and this and this and this. He was aware, and he still saved you. Because it's by grace that you're saved, not by works, lest any person should boast. So these, are the, these amazing truths about God, we hold them in our hearts. And believing the right things about God and how he feels towards us and, and things about his nature is just essential to everything we do as people. It's really completely essential. Today's topic really punctuates this idea that we really need to believe this stuff in order to uh, move forward correctly in our faith and not go a bad direction, right? Today's topic is God is the king. God is a sovereign king. And God has brought his kingdom to bear on the earth. These are two truths we're looking at today. Uh, if you don't believe that God is a king in this life, it will have implications for how you live your life these days, and it will have implications for your life eternally after this life is over, this short life is over. We are but a vapor, the Bible says. And a Bible teacher that I heard recently said, think about this idea. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. So the teacher said, we say here today, gone tomorrow. God says here today, gone in a couple hours. Because the vapor in the morning, it dissipates as the sun comes out. That's our life. And if we live as if God is a king in this life, then we will certainly enjoy the fruits of the kingdom in this life and the next. If we do not live our lives as though God is the rightful king in this life, it will have implications for this life and the next. It's just the way it works. God is a sovereign king. Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You can't really read uh, the, the tone into this. You could read it a couple different ways. As a stern, the kingdom of God is here, so repent and believe the good news. 
or, at, or as a really excited expression. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. It's here. I think you could read it both ways. And maybe, when you, maybe the reason we don't have uh, audio Bibles of the original thing is so that we can read into that what we need to hear at a given time, <laughs> right? Uh, but Jesus said, my kingdom has come. What does it mean for God to be a sovereign king? Well, sovereign means a supreme ruler possessing ultimate power. Just think on that for a second. A supreme ruler possessing ultimate power. God, the king, is the supreme ruler, possesses ultimate power. His kingdom is over all the earth. There's no place God isn't. Everything was formed by his hand. Everything is sustained by the word of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. And as much scientific knowledge as we gain, uh, as, as I've noted before, there's always better microscopes that find smaller parts of the atom. Uh, than that have been discovered. There's always greater telescopes that reveal that our universe is ever-expanding without any sign of tapering off and becoming smaller. The whole earth appears to be as eternal as God itself because God created the earth, and God is what holds it together. God holds everything together by his powerful word. God is the sovereign king. Next, we come to this phrase, the kingdom of God. And this is something that, uh, for us, when we read this, this phrase, we think about an earthly kingdom. We think about a realm where a king has, has rule over a geographical region, right? Is that something that comes to mind for you? You think about a realm where a king has uh, dominion. But when the Bible talks about the, the phrase the kingdom of God, it means not a place, but anywhere where the rule of God is exercised, okay? So anywhere that the rule of God is exercised, the kingdom comes, uh, some of you who have been in more liturgical churches, even Catholic churches, you've prayed the prayer, right, from Jesus, that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we saying when we say that? We're saying that the rule and reign of the king come and let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. It's kind of understood that when you pray that prayer, it's not just a rote memorization thing we're doing. We're actually declaring that he's the king of our life. And the only way that prayer really makes sense is if you intend to say, hey, if you're asking him to bring his kingdom, you're also by implication saying, let the rule and reign of God be on my life. Let the authority of the Lord Jesus be my guiding authority in life. So that's how the scripture talks about it, not as a realm, but as any place where God is ruling a life or a church or a group of people, right? That's the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is actually larger than the church, but we would hope, by God's grace, that our church is a place where the kingdom comes. We would really hope that, wouldn't we? Well, that's really up to us, isn't it? Because <laughs> the church is made up of the people. As, as long as the, the people of God make God their sovereign Ruler, God, you call the shots of my life. Not my will, but yours be done. Even when I don't understand, I will follow your word. I will obey your commands. I will follow you with my whole life. I think that as each person in the church does that, the church becomes a place where the kingdom comes. But it's not by default that churches get to be part of the kingdom. There are churches that have strayed so far away from God actually ruling and reigning in the church. They've gone against things that God has clearly said and said, no, that's not for us. We're good with that. The kingdom's not coming there, man. It's, it's coming to the places where people are making God the rightful ruler and following his ways. And God's uh, rule, we think about a, a king, perhaps, or even a tyrannical ruler, and we think, you know, that's kind of a 
could have some negative connotations. But God's rule is really a beautiful thing because God is good. God is good. Fundamentally in God's nature, God is good. We live under a friendly sky. Anyone that comes to Jesus Christ with sincerity, no matter what they've done or where they've been, is accepted by him fully through the, through the gift of salvation by grace through Jesus Christ. God is good. He, he has made a way for all of us to draw near to him. I want to take a look at a passage that describes the goodness of God. So this is uh, Jesus, one of his uh, amazing sermons in the synagogue. Jesus went around <laughs> and taught in synagogues and blew people's minds because he was a really good teacher and he confounded people and he made people do a second take. Like, hey, did he just say he was God? Did he just say this and this? Here's one of his famous synagogue sermons from Luke 4, 16 to 21. It says, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds good to me. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Just like you guys with me, you know, so captivating. We just can't fall asleep. (laughs) Every preacher's dream. The, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's mind-blowing stuff from Jesus. He's saying this Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah, it's fulfilled in me. This is the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to bring. What do we see in Jesus' kingdom? The spirit of the Lord is on me. The spirit of the Lord being God's third self, Jesus being God's second self. So this is all God. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Does that sound bad to anyone? Is that a good or a bad thing? Maybe some people don't have a very benevolent perspective towards the poor, but if you're a Christian, you know, you probably should, based on things the Bible says. (laughs) Good news to the poor, that's a good thing. God has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That's a good thing. If you've ever been in prison, you've gotten out of prison or jail, you know, that feels pretty good. I'm not assuming that, I I mean, I assume that some of us have been to jail, right? Um, Oh, I I missed the great part. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. That sounds great. To set the oppressed free, that's a very general thing. Anyone who's oppressed, either personally or demonically or whatever it might be, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, I fulfilled this. This is a good kingdom. God is good. So his, and his kingdom reign is demonstrated by these types of things. This is pretty good stuff. Sounds like a good kingdom. Uh, good news for the poor. Freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Setting the oppressed free. I think any thinking person, any reasonable person, would look at this and say, that's stuff we want, Christian or not. Desire to follow God or not. They'd say, that's good stuff. Because the opposite of this is bad news for the poor. More captivity for the prisoners. Being stuck with blindness or struck with blindness. An increase of oppression. In a general atmosphere of the wrath of God on your life. That's negative stuff. But Jesus says, that's not the case. 
in me, in my kingdom. These things are what marks my rule and reign. So if any thinking person would think that these are good things, then why is it that people don't submit their entire lives to the rule and reign of God? This is good stuff. That in your personal life, and in maybe the lives of people around you, all of these things and more would happen. The truth, the truth of the matter is that though most people would say these are things they want, um, we have each individually rejected God as king of our lives, as individuals and as a society, and so we don't get to enjoy these things. That's why we see so much darkness in the world. People have rejected God as a whole. The Bible talks about this in Romans. They, they've they put God aside and, and taken on all these other things. And we as individuals, we put God aside and take on these other things. We take God out of his rightful, rightful place as king of our lives. And then whatever it is that is in that rightful place, as Mark Eikos talked about last week, an idol, we worship that thing, a wooden thing or, that can't talk. Mark Eikos said a great phrase last week, my heart is an idol factory. He doesn't mean idol like it's not doing anything. He means idol factory, like... I create idols daily that I put in God's rightful place in my heart. And that's what we do. That's what society has done. And the brokenness in the world and the lack of uh, these things that Jesus talked about in, in, in the world writ large is because we have rejected Jesus as king because we do not want to surrender or yield control of our lives to anybody. We have a serious authority problem. We want to rule our lives on our terms completely, without having to answer to anybody. That's what we want. We don't want to have to think that we have to answer to anybody. We want to rule our own lives. So this stuff is just put aside by us as individuals, by us as a society. God, we want to rule our own lives. And what do we see in the world? Sin and death. But whether we choose to place God as king in our lives or not. What I'm saying to you today is God is still the king. God is still the king. It doesn't, it's not contingent upon having a loyal fiefdom, you know. It's not, it's not con- contingent on having subjects. Regardless of if, if anyone acknowledged God as king and made him the lord of their lives, he's still king by his very nature. And someday, the kingdoms of this world, which we enjoy and, and kind of walk around in, will become the kingdom of our God. It says in, in the Revelation, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. He will make his reign forever and ever. So even if no one made God their king in this present life and they passed into the next life without God as king of their life, it wouldn't change the fact that he's king and that someday all of the things that we participate in that are not God are going to be swallowed up in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the king. How we live our lives before we die or before Jesus comes back, which he will, matters for eternity. (laughs) This vapor of a life that we live, that's here today and gone today, it matters. It matters that God be the king of your life. It matters that you submit to his rule and reign in your life. It matters. It matters for your soul. It matters for your society. It matters for, certainly, the afterlife. We got lots of problems before that happens. We got lots of, t- lots of places where people that make Jesus the king of their life need to be a witness for him 
and, and bringing about the kinds of things that Jesus talked about in Luke. With a message like this one about God being the king, I just want to really punctuate this and say, I understand that people come to church and they listen to the sermon and they feel convicted and they go home and they forget about it on the way to Denny's or wherever they're going. I understand that. But I really want this idea of that God is the rightful king uh, to, to bother you in your personal life until you know for sure that he is your king. Because <laughs> it matters. It really matters. So as you're falling asleep tonight, think to yourself, is God my king? Am I following the revealed will of God in the scriptures? Am I someone who, who is being directed by God in wisdom as I, as I think about how I'm going to spend my time and use my life? Or am I just on autopilot? You know, Ephesians says, we were all counted among them at one time, people that were ruled by the, by the power of the kingdom of the air, who is at work in those who are disobedient. If God is not your king, whether you know it or not, you are following in a dark kingdom that Satan is influencing in the society. And unless you make the king of your life, whether you know it or not, you're going in the wrong direction at full speed. God is the king. So I want you to, to really meditate on this. I don't want you to leave our church fellowship and just dismiss this. Because this is a question of surrender, of yielding. It's not a question of earning God's kingship in your life. It's a question of, are you willing to lay it all down before him, your life, and say, you are the Lord, you are the king. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life, in my church, in my family, as it is in heaven. So we have this, this kingdom of this world, which is in full force right now. And I, I just like to know, does anyone want to debate with me whether or not there's lots of badness in the world today? Suffering, pain, the effects of sin. I, I got a really bad case of poison ivy this week. I'm very sensitive. I mowed our lawn. It's all up my legs, which is why I'm covering my beautiful legs. <laughs> just kidding about that. But not the poison ivy. But... If you've had poison ivy before, you know the most amazing feeling in the whole world is to scratch poison ivy. It feels so good. And then you look down and you're bleeding. And that's what the kingdom of this world is like. We have these sins and things we participate in. It feels so good. It feels so right. Everything we're doing. But we are killing ourselves. We are scratching the skin off of our body and it will destroy us. That's the way it is. As good as it feels, until Jesus is king of your life, it's just eating away at you. It's eroding you. So in the midst of this world that is controlled by the ruler of the kingdom of the air, you know, Satan has a lot of influence here. Uh, Jesus said, you know, repent, the kingdom of God has come. You know, why don't we see more fruit? How is it that it wasn't all just swept away when Jesus died on the cross and rose again and conquered sin and death? Well, Jesus talks about his kingdom in a parable in Mark 4, 30, 32, which I think is very instructive. He talks about what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus says, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. A mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. It's a subtle thing that's planted, and it grows and it's growing amongst the kingdoms of this world. And eventually, the tree will be so large in the course of world history, Jesus will come back, and all the kingdoms of the world will finally be subsumed underneath the kingdom of God. 
But the kingdom of God is often overlooked. The things that God does is often overlooked. In fact, Jesus himself, when he came, lived, died, and rose again, lots of people weren't aware of that. Lots of people weren't aware of it. It's such a big thing to us looking back on it, but it was subtle. Actually, when he, when he died on the cross, everyone had abandoned him. But what was he doing on the cross? Someone tell me what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was redeeming us. He was saving us. He was dying for our sins. He was swallowing up death and defeating death and creating an opportunity for people to draw near to God through him for forgiveness of our sins, for covering for our sins through his shed blood, the Bible says. And no one, or not many people really noticed it. You know, he was by himself at the time. Think about his resurrection. Just a few people were witnesses to it, and they came and told other people. These were subtle things that were happening. And the kingdom of God is like that until Jesus comes and, and he consummates the age of the, of the world in which we live in, and he sets everything right, which is what the Bible talks about in the last day. Uh, the kingdom of God is subtle. It's often missed. But it's the places where God is ruling and reigning in people and in their lives. The kingdom of God. I'd like to take a, take a journey with you through a really hilarious illustration that I made about the kingdom of God. So imagine these lines represent the present age in which we live. Uh, the Bible talks about in uh, a couple different places, uh, Romans 12 and Galatians 1, it talks about something called this present age. In this present age, and in this present age that we live in, it's characterized by death, sickness, pain, suffering, violence, injustice, and all forms of evil. But the Bible in the prophets and in the New Testament and the Old Testament talks about an age to come. And the age to come is represented by these lines going in a different direction. And in this age to come, everything that's true in this age that's not of God, that's not of his kingdom, is swallowed up in life. And you see an answer in scriptures for all of these different things that we can expect in the coming age. That when God finishes everything. So we have this age and we have the age to come. Well, something really amazing is when Jesus came, he came into our present age, you see, and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And when he came, he brought about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God brought to bear on this age. And so what we see in this age now that we live in is the things of the age to come are bleeding back into the present age in which we live through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. You know, death is being swallowed up in life. People are being healed. Lives are being redeemed. All kinds of stuff is happening. Some of it really, really out there and, like, outrageous. And some of it very subtle, perhaps so subtle, that you would miss it. Does that make sense? Jesus came into our present age, and he brought the promises of the age to come to bear on the age in which we live so that we see the kingdom coming as people make Jesus the Lord of their life. We see salvation, we see healing, we see restoration. In almost like a, uh, a subtle form for what it's going to be when the age is consummated. Because when the age is consummated, Revelation says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no crying, no suffering, no pain, because the old order of things has passed away. That's what the age to come will be like in this present age, as people make God the Lord of their life and become subsumed underneath God's kingdom as they live their everyday lives. We see the fruits of the age to come being brought to bear upon us. I want to talk about a couple different examples to give you a little bit more of a, of a framework to think about this. 
We were at the symphony a couple days ago at SPAC and seeing Josh Bell, who is a, does anyone know who that is? He's an amazing uh, violinist. I got one of his records uh, a few years ago for Christmas, and he was performing the Four Seasons, which is his big thing. That's the CD that I have. The Philly Orchestra was amazing. They were just loud and like uh, exciting, and it, it swelled, and then it got quiet, and the dynamics were amazing. We're out way out on the lawn listening to this music. And then they uh, begin performing a version of Summer from Vivaldi. And it was a South American composer had done a reworking of it. And it was really funky. It was super cool. It was different from the original, but it retained elements of the original. It was really, really exciting, lots of energy. And then, just like that, the power was out. The power was out at SPAC. Yeah. They're in the middle of this. It's like, it's like crescendo, crescendo, crescendo. Then the power went out. All the lights were out. All the stage was out. The monitors were out. The speakers were off. And all that I could hear as I craned my... I was so used to the loudness. All I could hear was just a faint on, on, the, on the violins. I could hear just a little bit of some of the frequencies. But it wasn't very loud. It wasn't something you could hear very well. And then as they finished the final note, because they kept playing, which was very cool, as they finished the final note, the lights came back on. And Josh Bell said, the best orchestras continued to play in the dark. And it was awesome. And I tell you, the kingdom of God is like that. Sometimes the kingdom of God is like a thunderclap. Someone is healed. Someone literally was blind and then they received their sight. Sometimes it's like a thunderclap. There's a marriage that is, everyone's like, that ain't going, that's not going to be saved. There's no way. It's too, it's too rough. And then one of the spouses comes to Christ, and then they demonstrate the love of God, and it's saved. It's, like a, it's a miracle. I have a friend who is ministering in China, and uh, because she is there um, secretly, you know, it's not legal, she relies on God a lot. And uh, they were at a prayer meeting, and a woman came in who had one leg that was shorter than the other, and they prayed for her, and they prayed that the leg would be lengthened, which is, that's a pretty big prayer. That's a pretty big faith prayer. Uh, so the shorter one would meet the longer one. And as they continued to pray for her and pray for her and pray for her, relying on the Lord Jesus and his healing, believing that the, the, the age to come where healing will be a uh, Everyone will be healed and restored, believing that Jesus could bring that to bear on this woman through his death on the cross, because by his wounds we are healed. The leg didn't grow to meet the other one. The other leg got shorter. <laughs> True story. And then she was equally, had an equal length on both of her legs. That's a, that's a thunderclap of the kingdom. That's like, wow, that's a cool story. But let me tell you, the best symphonies also perform in the dark. Sometimes God's kingdom is very subtle, but it's still equally amazing music. It's just not amplified. And people don't notice it. Many of the things that happen in the kingdom go, just go by the wayside and no one even sees them. I'd like to look at uh, a really thunderclap moment in Matthew 12, 22. Then they brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. That's what Jesus said he was going to do. 
bring recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. The people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Which is another name for the Messiah. But when the Pharisees heard this, who were the teachers of the law who were in cahoots with the Roman government, uh, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, which is the devil, Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. And listen to this. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's a thunderclap moment. Jesus is saying, it's by the kingdom of God. It's not by demons I've done this. It's by the kingdom of God. And if you see this mute, blind person who has gained their speech and their sight, I tell you the truth. The kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the work of the kingdom. The future consummated kingdom being brought to bear on this present age through my work. Repent. My kingdom is near. That's a thunderclap moment. I want to show you another thunderclap moment in the form of a video clip here. My name is Greg Spencer, and I just want to give a brief testimony of what has happened to me. I was a police officer for 15 years, majoring in narcotics enforcement. And during that, narcotics enforcement exposed myself to tremendous amounts of violence, hardcore pornography. I was just a very hard, callous man. It cost me my first marriage as I put my entire life into that career. I was also a deputy medical examiner frequently seeing, having to, to view autopsies, unattended deaths, violent deaths through motor vehicle accidents or whatever violence may be that man does to man. My brain was filled with all of that stuff. Gave up that career after that 15 years and went on to driving truck, which lasted about six months driving cross country. I began noticing a loss of vision went to an eye doctor and was examined and diagnosed with macular degeneration, which my vision went from 2020 down to about 2400 in a very short time and was deemed legally blind, not only legally, but literally blind. I couldn't see. I was on disability, was looking at disability for the rest of my life, was sent to the Oregon Commission for the Blind and went through the full training to be a functional blind man, the white canyon training and the guide dog and everything there was to that. At that same time in that area, er, that area of time, I met my current wife, Wendy, who was a born-again-on-fire believer in Jesus Christ who recognized what I was going through and drug me with her to church where I was introduced to Jesus Christ and had an opportunity in 2001 to to attend a men's retreat, which was, the topic was cleansing of the mind. I recognized I needed that. I couldn't sleep nights with the horrid graphic nightmares that I would constantly had, closing my eyes with these visions of the violence, the pornography, the bodies was just overwhelming. I'd wake up screaming at night with these nightmares. I needed that. My prayer in that men's retreat was, Lord, cleanse my mind. Take this junk away. Set me free. 
I shortly after praying that felt the Lord telling me, you're clean. I opened my eyes and lo and behold at the back of the stage where I sat in this chapel I could see a tiny sign that said red exit. And at that point realized I had been cleansed of my sin but I also been healed and my vision had been totally restored. Uh, being on disability I now had to get off of disability going to the state to tell them I'm no longer disabled I can see opened a one year long investigation which the state concluded after numerous medical exams with a letter that was given to them by the professional eye doctor was that there had been a remarkable healing a miraculous healing there was evidence of macular degeneration but that it was healed and the scar tissue had been restored no explanation of how that could be other than it was remarkable and I say today at 54 years old I still have perfect vision praise God that's a real thunderclap moment but notice what preceded him getting his vision back he made God the king of his life and then he experienced the kingdom everything Jesus said would accompany those who forsook the kingdom of this world in favor of the kingdom of God. He was healed. That's one of the ways the kingdom breaks out in these thunderclap moments. But it's not always so uh, pronounced. Sometimes the kingdom comes in very subtle ways, in ways we don't expect. Some of you actually may be doing the works of the kingdom without even knowing it because you didn't put it in this category. There was a uh, very special, the Lord reminded me this week, a very special young lady uh, in my life and in the life of many people who a, a family friend had taken, taken her in and she was uh, disabled uh, medically. She was born with fetal alcohol syndrome, and so she, was, she suffered from a lot of respiratory problems. And she was a really funny kid. She called me Mr. Detweiler, which was really formal. Hey, Mr. Detweiler. And she, she was very precocious, full of life, full of spunk, but nonetheless um, was, needed constant medical attention all the time. And family friends of, of ours, of my family, uh, were medical foster care, and they took, took her in at seven years old. And... Um, she lived with them for two years, at which time she brought amazing life into everyone who met her. She was a beautiful, full of life, vibrant, precocious, beautiful child. And I was reminded of her this week, thinking about the kingdom. And I'd like to read to you uh, her obituary when she passed away in 2008. Hope Janoski, nine years old of Johnstown, was taken into the arms of Jesus on Friday, June 27, 2008 at Albany Medical Center. Born at the hospital premature on October 21st, 1998, she was deemed a miracle baby, fighting desperately throughout her short life to get better from a chronic respiratory disease that would eventually take her life. Hope was attended by many caring professionals at her stay at NICU and PICU at the hospital and was a resident at Northwoods at Hilltop seven years before God sent her loving foster parents, Laurel and Gary Gugliuza. Hope is in attendance at Fort Ferry Elementary School as well as Boulevard Elementary in Johnstown. She enjoyed immensely her summers 
at Double H Hole in the Woods Camp and the many friends she made. Hope was an inspiration to everyone she ever came into contact with. Her love of animals, especially for cats and dogs, she helped to raise her family's seeing-eye dog, Truman. She was an honorary member of the Mohawk Ambulance as well as Niskayuna Fire Department. Thank you to the AMC physicians, nurses, and volunteers for the love given to Hope, and especially Sarah Harms and Michelle Derling. Hope Ann was recently baptized and will be remembered for her love of life. The kingdom came. She, she, she died at nine years old, but the kingdom came in her life because a family took her in. And that's not an easy thing to do, to take in a, a medical foster child like that. But she, she came to a relationship with Christ. She was baptized. She was loved. And she shared the love of Christ with everyone who met her. She left such an, a deep impression on everyone. There wasn't a thunderclap moment where she was miraculously healed of the things that she had been afflicted with uh, through no choice of her own, just through her birth. There was no miraculous healing there. Maybe there was prayers prayed in that light. But the kingdom came. Her life became filled with Jesus. And she shared the love with everyone she came into contact with, probably unbeknownst to her. And after she passed away in Christ... She was restored. The age to come came upon her little body. Her lungs were restored. Her heart was restored. All of her internal organs. Something she'd never experienced on this earth. Complete restoration. And now she's probably messing around and dancing and enjoying the presence of the Lord in his kingdom. But it's because the kingdom came that that is possible. Because this family said... Jesus is the Lord of my life, and we want to love others and love God well. And this is how he's called us to do it. And they did it. And the kingdom came. And these, these stories of being, having your sight restored, they're amazing. But let's not forget, it's like a little mustard seed sometimes. Sometimes it's just this booming orchestra. Sometimes it's in the dark, and no one notices it, or almost no one. But the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is breaking out all over us in this present age. But you will miss it unless you make God the king of your life. And you, you allow all of your priorities, your decisions, your feelings about morality, or lack of conviction about such things, and place them underneath his lordship and say, God, I surrender my life to you. I yield my life to you. We're going to respond in a couple different ways. God is the rightful king, whether we acknowledge him or not. And this morning, uh, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's time to make God the king of your life. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. Who calls the shots in your life? If you look at your life honestly, can you say, God is the king of my life? And I, and I can tell you why, because blah, 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 blah. Can you, can you go through your life and say, I'm sure God is the king of my life. Or, or do you feel that you're just kind of being religious and playing a game in the uh, system of this world in which we live? So for Christians, for people that don't know Christ, come to Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Lay it down and say, I want to make your priorities my priorities. Your commands, I want to take them upon myself. And begin and walk in them. I want to find out what pleases the Lord. I want to know what you're calling me to do. I can assure you the kingdom of God will come for you in subtle 
in not-so-subtle ways, if you pray that prayer and if you spend time seeking after the Lord Jesus. And secondly, if you feel that Jesus is the Lord of your life, if you really are following him with all that you are and everything that's within you, and you're there, pray the simple prayer that Jesus prayed, that he taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let your kingdom come in my life. Lord, let your kingdom come in my church. Lord, let your kingdom come in my community in Saratoga Springs. And then listen for the voice of the Father. Because there might be a way that God wants to use you to bring about his kingdom that maybe no one will notice, but he does. And it matters for eternity. Jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. If you are just struggling with, uh, with a sin pattern, with something that, that is uh, competing with the lordship and the kingship of God in your life, the only way you're going to win that battle is by surrendering to the king your whole life, just like this guy in the video. You have to give your life to God and surrender your life to him. That is the only way you're going to get free from whatever is taking away your peace. Jesus came to give us life to the full. The only step that we can take to really take hold of that is laying it all down, yielding our lives to him and doing whatever it takes to get to a place where Jesus is king. Whether it be talking about that issue with with a trusted brother or sister in Christ, uh, whether it be talking about that doubt or that problem with, with a brother or sister in Christ, receiving prayer, being restored, You've got to settle this lordship question in your life. You've got to do it. The time is now. Jesus being the king of our lives means everything for this age and the age to come. God is the king. Let his kingdom come. Let his will be done. That all of the idols be knocked down. And may he be placed in his rightful place in our heart. He will not yield his glory to another. He is the rightful king. Let's take our will that he's given us as a gift and choose to make him the king that calls the shots, who tells us what's right and wrong, who tells us what we should take upon ourselves, even if it's inconvenient, because he wants to show his kingdom in subtle and dramatic ways in our lives. I want to bless you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bless you to go forward from this day with the question in your heart, that nags at your conscience, that haunts your mind. (laughs) Is God the king of my life? Have I yielded my life to him? And may you know the answer to that question sooner than later by the grace of the Lord Jesus. For all the resources of heaven have been given that you might be restored in your relationship with God. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. His love is greater still. May you yield your life and surrender your life to him that you might know the freedom and the peace that comes with being a child of God, living in the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.